Hi, everybody. You're listening to the 13th episode of the Hipster Baseball Podcast, the Christmas special. Ho, 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 ho. Forgive me. I just had to try it out. Uh, I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian. And on today's podcast, we are going to be drinking with the gods. Remind you not to sleep in your own bed the night of December 27th. Attend a VIP bris and have a Christmas pig in sunny Florida. So we want to start off like we always do. Pretty much referencing our drink, so I'm gonna see how my man Dorian is doing today. So, how are you on this amazing Christmas Eve here on the craziest year that we have probably known in the longest time, 2020? Merry Christmas, and I want to ask you how are you doing? You always ask me how I'm doing, but how are, how are you doing? You sound kind of fun. You, you sound like you're gonna have fun with your Santa Claus talk. Uh, I was just trying something out. I'm pretty good, man. I can't <laughs> complain. It's uh. Christmas Eve here, we're waiting for a massive wind and like winter storm. So like here where I am, we're, we're forecasted to get a lot of rain and wind. And it kind of sucks because that would be the worst thing when you get wind and it knocks power out. So I'm hoping they're not going to have really intense winds, but we did have to take up like the Christmas decorations out of the house that would probably like fly away. But, you know. Well, that, would be one, that would be another thing to kind of add. It's like, oh, wait, you know, it's Christmas and oh, we have no power, you know, so hopefully that's not what's going to happen. But I hope you have a fireplace or you can always just sit in the car. How? Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you know, worst case, we have an electric generator we can just plug into the house. So, you know, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, we worked out the kinks with that because we had a tropical storm over the summer, which blew out power and knocked down trees. So hopefully that's not going to be the case here, but. Yeah, whatever. We're here. <laughs> and we're here. So that means we're going to start drinking for Christmas. And sorry for yelling, people. Today, I'm drinking, and I'm surprising to Carlo. I'm drinking Zamunda Forever. It's a mead from Garagiste Meadery in Tampa, Florida. It's a local place. And uh, mead is actually Old English. It means fermented honey drink. And it's created by fermenting honey with water. And sometimes you add in fruits, spices, grains, or hops. And this specific one is, uh, I love it. It's traditional mead made from Zambian wildflower blossom honey. I'm going to pour it out right now. Sounds nice. It smells earthy, by the way. Very, very earthy. Mm. And how does it taste? It's actually very smooth. You can definitely tell there's a, there's a honey in it, but it's not like fruity. I'm not a big fan of fruity drink, but all right. So here we go. Mead is actually in one of the most ancient liquors uh, mankind knows, Homo sapiens. It's believed the first time that it's been uh, documented was not even Chinese civilizations, but a proto-Chinese civilization. They were fermenting honey and rice from about the year, from about, from around 7,000 BCE. That's 9,000 years ago. This mead that I have in my hand, a little small cup, it's the same stuff that Danish warriors drank in your, dear listeners, favorite high school poem, Beowulf. And in Norse mythology, the god Kvasir. Okay, maybe, DeCarlo, can you like, do you know any ancient Norse to like improve my pronunciation? No, no, no. So we're going to go with Kvasir. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the Norse god, Kvasir, was extremely wise, and he traveled throughout the world imparting his knowledge to everyone. 
But here's the bad part. Kavasir was killed by the evil dwarves Fialad and Galad. Uh, the dwarfs ended up mixing Kavasir's blood with honey, and it became the mythical mead of poetry. And anyone who drinks the mead of poetry becomes a scholar or a poet. So I'm cheering my fellow Zamundian citizen, DiCarlo, that if I drink, I drink, if I drink enough of this mead, we will be scholars of the podcast games and the great poets of Christmas. By the way, people, you don't know, but actually DiCarlo and I are actually from Zambia and our faces are on the 100-pound note. I'm joking. For, for those of you who don't know, Zamunda is actually the country where Prince Hakim is from in, the, in one of our favorite movies, Coming to America. Which will have a sequel coming out in March on Amazon. Oh, Prime. no. I'm not looking forward to that. Don't do the classic. No, actually, I watched the um, uh, uh, trailer for it, and it looks like it's going to be pretty funny. Like, okay. it's because you know what? It's, it's interesting. You would think that, oh, a movie like that that came out so long ago is so classic and iconic that they, they shouldn't do it. But I think enough time has passed. And it really, and the fact that at least most of the cast, his original cast, is in it, it's going to really make it a little bit. I, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. And plus, Eddie Murphy, he's proven he's still very funny and one of the funniest people who's ever like lived. That's true. And him and Arsenio, and, and they do the the whole like sketch with all the makeup and stuff with all the guys, and like it, it's going to be funny. But, we might uh, even say that uh, Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy have drank from the mead of poetry since they're so brilliant and hilarious. Mm -hmm. But going on, moving forward with our Christmas special, DiCarlo, what are you drinking today for? I'm actually keeping it very seasonal and I'm drinking New England old-fashioned eggnog. So this is like the... Um, so let me just give you a backstory, at least of the drink and how it has come into my possession. So my stepfather and I and my mother, like we would sit back, every single year and buy this stuff and buy it in bulk. So they sell it. At, it's, it's like, if you go to a liquor store, it's probably like there, especially like right after Thanksgiving. And this is the stuff that has rum, brandy, uh, other whiskey. It's, it's blended all together. And we just would get completely like tipsy while drinking this stuff during the holiday season. And I'm drinking a glass uh, this evening, which is always nice because it is, it's very pleasurable as I drink it, and it keeps me in the Christmas spirit. So I, I couldn't think to drink anything else on our Christmas special, and uh, apart from New England's old-fashioned eggnog. So, that's beautiful. That yeah. that also sounds uh, kind of sweet, the, the eggnog part. But I'm drinking some good Nordic. I'm drinking the, the drink of the gods, the Nordic gods, and... Carlos drinking good old New England Pilgrim or Puritan. I don't know. He's drinking the, the New England old fashioned eggnog. Now, listener, when you're listening to this podcast, when you're sitting around in your Santa Claus or Rudolph the Red Nose reindeer pajamas, tweet us, tweet us a picture of the drink you're having throughout this whole weekend. We're going to retweet it. We'll be happy to. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBPDrink. So, before we move on, we have to take a little bit of time to uh, check in with our sponsors. And today, being that it's Christmas Eve, you have to be asking yourself, what is it that I want? Everybody thinks about the newest uh, 
electronic device, especially when it comes to video game consoles. And we'll have to say that the only console that you should be searching for during this holiday season is Atari. Now, whether it be playing Pong, jumping over cliffs and pitfall, or just taking a little bit of time to just scroll through the, the new age technology and video gaming consoles, Atari is where you want to go. So while you're sitting back and begging your parents about what it is that you need right now, you tell them, I want my Atari. And they'll sit back and say to you, once you have it, have you played your Atari today? So remember, once you get that gift and as you have it, always, every time your parents come and ask you, did you play your Atari today? You sit back with a big grand smile and say, yes, I did. Atari, have you played your Atari today? So. I want to, I, I love Atari and I want to, I also want to give a shout out to Atari for sending us the, the brand new game, Pole Position. So one of my favorite games of all time. So thank you, Atari. Yes. <laughs> so today in our, in our uh, episode, we're going to be really looking at uh, the 12 days of Christmas, what they really are. We're not talking about on the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Like we're talking about the true 12 days of Christmas. So our boy Dorian is going to sit back and give us a little bit of a breakdown of the 12 days, the real 12 days of Christmas. So look at look like, like the Carlo just mentioned, he hinted at it. We were going to sing the 12 days of Christmas, which is in the entire thing, which is like 15 minutes long, but uh, Santa has very litigious elves. And so uh, we were told by our general counsel that we can't sing it. If not, we would have to pay the elves like a hundred gazillion dollars. And um, things are tight right now at HPP. Oh, anyway. you said the word <laughs> of the day, litigious, litigious. Oh, let me stop. So for those who don't know, look it up, litigious. If you think about it, considering the sentence and everything that broke down afterwards, you can have a clear understanding as to what the word litigious might mean. Anyway, I'm just, I digress. So what okay. is up with the 12 days of Christmas? So I want to take everybody back to uh, one of our favorite countries outside of Zamunda. We're going to go to the country that colonized Zamunda, which is Great Britain. So we're going to go all the way up north. We're going to take our flying machine across the Atlantic Ocean, across the, and in, the, in the area of the North Sea. So in Tudor times in England, which we're talking about an era of about uh, of the 1500s, which is about 700 years ago, all the houses were decked with green and they would deck the halls by using the bay and rosemary's rosemary that they would find outside and bring it inside as decorations. Uh, they didn't have any Christmas tree because that's actually a German tradition. The Germans brought Christmas trees to the United States in, I believe, in the 1800s or the early, I think it was the early, late the 1800s, early 1900s. And so the whole point of bringing in this, this, these bays and rosemary and other green leaves inside the home was to observe the 12 days of Christmas and make, you couldn't work during those 12 days. And so today we look at Christmas. We, the buildup to Christmas is to the 25th of December. Everything happens. Uh, you go and see your family and maybe in the afternoon you go see your friends. Or if you're Latin, you have Noche Buena, which is on the 24th of December. That's when you actually do your big celebration. And the 25th is just hanging out. But anyways, after the 25th, everything falls off. You go back to work. You have one day of party for your New Year's Eve, and that's it. But in Tudor times, the 12 days of Christmas started December 25th, the 25th of December. And, and, and it ended on the 6th of January, 
which was the, the Feast of uh, the Epiphany. I'm going to highlight some of these 12 days of Christmas, some of my favorite ones. I mean, come on, it's, this is the HBP podcast, so we, can, we have a little bit of power here. The second day of Christmas, December 26th. This was the, December 26th in the Christian calendar is the Feast of St. Stephen. And this was done for charity. So in, in, in English Tudor times, local and uh, local landowners would give presents to their tenants. They would give them normally two loaves of bread, ale, we love that, and two chunks of meat, which, which, which was served with mustard. And in Britain and its former colonies, like Zamunda, <laughs> except here in the US, it's also known as Boxing Day. And in that, it was a holiday where people, people, uh, business owners, landowners would give literally a small box to the employers so that the employers could take this small box home because a lot of times these employers had to work during Christmas and it was the next day, it was the 26th of Christmas, the 26th of December, they would go home and share what was in the box, which was usually Unless money. Your boss was Ebenezer Scrooge. Just keep it. That's mind. true. He was, he was a penny pinching guy who didn't want to give anybody. So there was in that box that Ebenezer Scrooge would give you, there wouldn't be money or any leftover food, but normally it would be. And in England, they're now traditionally they play football matches, which is a very fun uh, thing to attend. That is true. And to Carlo hinted at the fact that you, my dear friend, listener, do not sleep in your own bed on the 27th of December. Mark my words, do not do it. And this is the fourth day of Christmas, December 28th, which in the Christian calendar in Tudor times was the Feast of the Holy Innocence, 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 Innocence. The Feast of the Holy Innocence. It's a, it's a commemoration for a alleged ancient murder by King Herod. In the Christian New Testament, the legend goes that Harold, Harold, Herod the Great, King of Judea, he ordered the execution of all male children under the age of two within the vicinity of Bethlehem for some young up-and-coming superstar named Christ. But scholars really haven't found any evidence that this actually happened. And also the, the very respected ancient Jewish historian, uh, Joseph, uh, Josephus, he doesn't mention this either. But there are other scholars that say it you might have Josephus? happened. Him too. Josephus and Josephus. They're the twin brothers. People don't know that. People don't know Josephus and Josephus were twin brothers. I'm joking. I, 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 the, yeah, the, I mean, the, you started the, with King Harold, and now it's, it's look, Josephus. You know, what? you know what the problem is? <laughs> the ancient Nordic gods aren't happy. I'm talking about Christian gods, and I've been, I'm have been drinking their drink, and they're messing up my, my tongue. So... Uh, Josephus doesn't mention this, but there are other scholars who say it might have happened, but because it was such a small event, Josephus wouldn't have recorded it because Bethlehem was so small, it might have resulted, if this edict was correct, to kill every male child under the age of two, it might have resulted in about a dozen deaths. So that's not exactly, it's not headline news, basically. So, but then what would be the whole point if the population is so low and you want to kill the, like, that, that's where you have to sometimes think to yourselves, like, is this really factual? Because, like, really, what, what's the, the end game of killing, say, maybe a dozen two-year-olds, young men? I don't know. Was, I mean, it, is it, isn't it in the question. city of Bethlehem or was this throughout? In the vicinity. It was, it's in Bethlehem and in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Uh, uh, so why? Oh, interesting. Anyway, you're asking Dorian. That's great. 
I you're losing me here, man. The fourth day of Christmas, Feast of the Holy Innocents. I want to know why I shouldn't be sleeping in my home bed. I want to know why I should be renting a hotel room for the 27th of December, the night of. Okay. In medieval England, in Tudor times, children were reminded of the morphfulness, the fact that if they had been born in the time of King Herod and of a certain gender, they would have been killed. So children were woken up by being whipped in bed. I, I'm not laughing at child abuse. It's a horrible thing. The fact that these people in Tudor times thought that it was completely normal and very religious to whip your children every morning of the 26th, on the 26th of December. This custom survived up until the 27th, 17th century. Right? The 27th. Did I say the 26th? I'm yeah. sorry. The morning of the 28th of December. See, the Nordic gods are not happy. I'll tell you that much right now, which, you know, it means uh, I had a little too much to drink. Mm -hmm, but they would wake up their children on the 28th of December by whipping them. Horrible. And even until the early part of the 20th century, this was remembered in, the, in an old newspaper called the Irish Times in 1928. There was an article that said, quote, it hath been a custom and yet is to whip up children upon Innocence Day morning that the memory of Herod's murder of the innocents might stick the closer and in a moderate proportion to act over the cruelties in kind, end quote. It's been said that this beating of children was uh, a custom of the pre-Christian era to drive out evil spirits, ill health, harmful forces. Spare we're the talking rod, about spoil the child, man. I mean, you're talking about people who believed in uh, what is it, bad airs, or oh, they have to you know purge the humors and all that stuff. And it wasn't just England. We're not going to just talk about the overlords of Zamunda. In, in modern day Germany, but because there was no Germany back then in the Middle, in the middle Ages, the, it was a, a little bit of a role reversal because the children were allowed, the children were allowed to strike anyone they passed with their whips of twigs and branches on the 28th of December. This is what got uh, the, running, the modern day running back Adrian Peterson in trouble. He's a running back for the Detroit Lions now. He would have been okay in the in medieval times in Hungary. In Hungary, boys and men whipped women and girls with switches in order to endow them with beauty and health. Can you imagine that, DiCarlo? You're just like, you are beautiful. May you have great health. May you have a dozen children. It's like, get away from me. This is not a way to make a girl like you by hitting them over the head with twigs and branches. <laughs> but apparently we don't live we don't in live in, in no, we don't live in Middle Ages, Hunk. Hey, um, I mean, you know so what? Just again, don't... listen, listen, listener, I've, I've warned you, do not sleep in your bed the 27th of December because someone's going to wake you up by whipping you with twigs and branches and letting you know that King Herod killed some kids. Mm. Uh, so yeah. so what, are, what about January 2nd? Because this... Uh... Feast of ahead. circumcision is uh, gonna, a little bit interesting. This, this, this is what De Carlos mentioned earlier at the, at the top of the podcast. We are now going to a VIP bris, which is the ninth day of Christmas. It's the second of January. 
story and why in the world did you just skip over the first of January, New Year's Day, Champagne, Pitbull is doing his Dale on ABC. In Tudor times, January 1st meant nothing to them. It wasn't like what we look at it now. That Their big party is later. We're going to get to that. So the ninth day of Christmas, on the ninth day of Christmas, there was a circumcision of Christ. That's exactly what it was called. The feast of the circumcision. <laughs> the feast of the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision is usually when it, this, this happens traditionally for a Jewish boy. And this is the day that he would receive his name. We have to remember Christ, Jesus, was a Jew, was, was Jewish. And so, of course, he would have been circumcised. And, he, and that's the day that he would have received his name. In ancient, in the old Byzantium and the Eastern Orthodox churches, on the night of January 1st, they hold an all-night vigil um, for this event. But in the Catholic Church, in the Roman Catholic Church, in 1960, Pope John XXIII, he removed the mention of circumcision and replaced it. And now it's and now it's called the Solemnity of Mary, the Holy Mother of God. It celebrates Mary being the Mother of God. To Carlo, I'm going to call some BS here. How are you just you as the Pope are just going to unilaterally say we're not going to we're not going to mention that this young boy had certain parts of his body cut off. We're just going to say, oh, his mom is so awesome. You know what? His mom was probably awesome. But you can't just say, we're not going to, we're not going to mention him going yes, through you this are. surgical event. Yeah, actually. They don't. But well, Pope well, John XXIII said no more. Well, you have to remember that the papacy in the Catholic Church is a political entity that has the ability to change religious dogma as they so deem fit. And like you were mentioning how in the gospel of Thomas, it's uh, his disciples sent to him. I mentioned that my, my well, dear friend. I haven't well, mentioned that yet. Well, let me, I'll take the lead on this anyway. <laughs> is circumcision useful or not? He said to them, if it were useful, their father would produce children already circumcised from their mother rather than true circumcision and spirit has become profitable in every respect. And then you also have to keep in mind. That's too, what G DiCarlo, we have to say, uh, that's what Jesus said in yeah, response. Yeah. If, if somebody asked him, uh, is circumcision useful or not? Yeah, but you also have to keep in mind, too, that when you're talking about European countries who aren't really known for circumcision, that also makes a huge point in probably why they felt it wasn't necessary to continue to um, really reference this. I mean, things change, people change. And, you know, I, you know, I don't think really anybody would say, oh yeah, let's celebrate when my man got peace to, you know, his foreskin taken off. Like, you know, you know what like, changed? What? Part of Jesus's body. But listen, listen, before we, DiCarlo and I, we're going down a, uh, a very drastically different road on this podcast. We're about to become theologians here, talking about Shintoism, Taoism, Christianity, uh, Sufism. What DiCarlo quoted from, talk, Jesus saying that it's really not useful because if it was, then uh, a father would already produce children who were already circumcised, uh, not, not children, but young boys. That was actually from the Gospel of Thomas. Now, those of you who are have under, understanding of the Christian tradition or not, the Gospel of Thomas is not recognized as a formal gospel in the 
I don't know what you want to call it, the Orthodox churches. The, the, well, the, the New Catholic Testament, church. it's an apocryphal book. So meaning it's not one of those that is that was through multiple canons or councils that would be added into the New Testament. See, right. Like, like said before, when you're dealing with religious institutions that were political, huge, and still are political entities, there are certain texts that they would use in order to formulate the good book and some they would leave out because it might not fit a political like thing that they needed at that time others might um push the status quo a little bit and so that that set of texts were usually called apocryphal books because they were not included what we know as say the old testament and the new testament mostly usually the saint james uh version of the bible which is the most accustomed and um it's the most, it's the, the usual uh, Bible that most people tend to possess. Right. What, and what, I, what I'm trying to say, people, if you read between the lines, do not send us hate mail. We are just a bunch of dudes that love drinking the drink of the gods and talking about baseball and history and science and maybe even theology now going forward. This was the, this was the ninth day of Christmas that you would attend service and mass for the circumcision of uh, the, the, the Christ. Enough of theology. We're going to move forward to the 12th day of Christmas is called the 12th night. Or, like I said earlier, Epiphany Eve, which was on the 5th of January, the night of the 5th of January. Again, in Tudor times, it was 12th night was a very pop was a, was incredibly popular. This is when everyone went all out. They had a bacchanal, as the ancient Romans used to say. They had parties. This was it. And they would also have the 12th night. This was their, their New Year's Eve for us. They'd have, they'd have a 12th night cake that would have a bean and pea hidden inside. And it was said that the man who finds the bean in his slice of cake becomes king for the night. And the lady, we can't forget the ladies, who finds the pea in her slice of cake becomes the queen for the night. And these 12th night parties would have the singing of Christmas Carol and just a massive party when that this was the 12th night of Christmas, as you would think. It was the buildup to all of those heavy theological thing about being beaten on, you know, the, the, the morning of the holy the, of the holy innocence and having Christ having parts of his body chopped off, etc. What else happened on the 12th night? This I love this part. <laughs> is um, there's a theater there's a theater in London called uh, Drury Lane, and it's been a tradition since 1795. Now 1795 is no longer Tudor times. This is a uh, Georgian, the Georgian era. But anyways, Drury Lane, which is a royal theater in London, provides something called a Twelfth Night Cake, and they provide it to the the company that performs in their theater every, every single year. Imagine this, 1795 to the year 2020, well, maybe not 2020 because of COVID-19, but let's say 1795 to 2019, every single year they have provided cake and wine, or they used to call it punch, to the company in the residence of the theater on the 6th of January. Why? Because an actor by the name of Robert Baddeley he left a record. He left. A, he bequeathed something in his will, one hundred pounds, which today is about eighteen thousand dollars. 
and he was actually supposed to be paid out three pounds per year to do exactly this, to provide cake and wine in the green room for the actors, the actresses, everyone, the production company. And what I love is there's a whiff, whiff of scandal because Sophie Roberts' wife, while she was married to Mr. Uh, this, uh, Mr. Baddeley, she was living with someone named Dr. Hayes. So Carlo, this is some scandalous reality TV stuff. How is a married woman going to be living with another man? That's crazy. So what happened? Um, well, that's, it's called separation. I don't think <laughs> they were separated because I'm going to tell you why. Robert ended up having to fight a duel, not with Dr. Uh, not with Dr. Hayes, but, but it, it was a, it was an outfall of this scandalous thing. Thankfully, no one was killed. No one was injured. But this is, again, the 18th century. Maybe it's like if you, if you look at me bad, I'm going to challenge you to pistols. I'm going to slap you in the face uh, if well, you step on well, my you know high what? heels. I would say you don't know what their whole relationship was. Maybe they were married, but maybe they had an understanding. Maybe he was gay. You know what I mean? He like clear. Carlo, I'm going to push back on you. Clearly, he was not gay. Why? Because he didn't he, have understanding. Because he fought a duel. Yeah, he that's had called been okay reputation. With Who cares, man? Like, yeah. do you not realize how people are? It's a matter of saving face. Like, if if you have an understanding with, between you and your wife, and then it gets out to everybody else, and people are going to start talking crap, you're going to have to save face. Especially back during that time. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't know or couldn't conceive about that people would still fight duels for. And most duels didn't actually end with somebody dying. A lot yeah. of the time it was, you know, I demand a retraction of what it is that you said. Okay. All right. Or, or then it would be like, all right, we shoot pistols, but half the time it's shooting the sky. Like a lot of it is all reputation. This no. whole idea that trust me, dude, like, no, you know, I'm going to trust me because I'm pouring yeah, out my last, I, I, I'm, I, listen, I I'm pouring out my last of the mead and the God Kavasir, he just he just told me right now that Robert was not. Yeah, well, he, you know he was what? not was down something. with the DL. It was something because, <laughs> regardless, if the if his wife was living with somebody, there's enough time to know. And it's not like this was called. Oh, you have your wives who are sitting back and working like full time executive jobs where they could have an excuse with not being home or being somewhere else. This is freaking England back there in the Tudor era. Please. You know, where, was she, where was she going? Like, it okay. wasn't as though there was a lot of equal rights. So clearly, he might have known, especially if you come home and be like, hey, babe, where's my dinner? And she's at some other dude's house? Like, come on. God, be, right, there's but, more to that story. There's a lot more that we can't answer. I'm going to stick with the fact that there was something going on, and that's where I'm going to stay with. Before I challenge the Carla to a duel, because the god Kavasir has been telling me to. No, I'm joking. So before we go to duels here, again, Robert... Challenge some other guy for a duel because of the, uh, the the whiff of scandal of his wife. We're going to move on. This is a celebration, people. The 12th night, Epiphany Eve, January 5th, going into January 6th. Last point. William Shakespeare, everyone who's listening to this podcast and everyone who hasn't listened to this podcast knows who William Shakespeare is. He wrote a famous play called, you got it, The Twelfth Night. And he wrote it as an entertainment on the 12th night of Christmas. And it was first performed, stop me if you heard this before, on the 12th night of Christmas in front of Queen Elizabeth I at Whitehall Palace in London on the 6th of January, 1601. 
And Queen Elizabeth I had this party, of course, for the Italian diplomat, the Duke of uh, Orsino, and he was heading back to Italy sometime later that year in 1601. So those of you who love Shakespeare, he actually wrote this for the Twelfth Night for Queen Elizabeth. Nice. So what about Christmas here in the U.S., man? What about Christmas here in the U.S.? What are some we of the traditions? Have... See, we're, we're like, we're sitting back and, you know, well, we're, for those who've been listening to us, we have an affinity for England because we did have some informative, like some formative years spent across the pond. We're that group of expatriates who decided to repatriate our country later on. But still. Not only that, but because where De Carlo and I are from, Zomunda was also a former British colony. So, well, where did you get that information? Because they have the pound on the Zanunda note in the movie. Of course, and but the they way, were, but they the were independent they nation. So no, but a lot. you would no. They it was understood it's a fictional country in Western Africa that was under British colony. I mean, it's understood. It's understood, really. Where is that yeah. written? Where? First off, the the flag of Zamunda is a lion. It has a lion chasing the yeah, sun in Africa. The, <laughs> well, the, the, Brit- the British have lion as yeah the three lions of, of a place don't have lions like but at least in Zamunda the and the they have the pound, the pound sterling Zamunda has the pound sterling that our our faces are on it the said pound note pound it didn't say sterling it could be a pound of gold it could be a pound of sterling it could be a pound of iron we don't know just a pound oh, goodness anyways we're gonna forget about Zamunda and Great Britain we're moving back to the good old U.S. of A. So, so what, what was the, the first, first Christmas, Christmas the first Christmas here in, in the Americas? We can't say United States because it didn't even exist back then. It's still in the Tudor times, but here in the U.S., it wouldn't be called the Tudor times. It would just been called time of the Mesoamericans. I have no idea. It was actually held in modern day downtown Tallahassee, which is the state capital of Florida. And the man who held it, the most important man, was the Spanish explorer and conquistador Hernando de Soto. And they held, they probably, historians believe that the first Christmas Day mass was held outside because if those of you who know Florida, it's really nice in December. It's really nice in in the wintertime. So you can do that. You can do that. And women, obviously, we're talking about the 16th century, cooked us a Christmas meal of pig, some local vegetables, uh, fruits, seafood. That Frankly, it sounds freaking delicious. It's perfect for vegetarians, pescatarians, anybody else, whatever Aryans you are, Aryans, whatever. Uh, but we don't know if it was actually gluten-tolerant Christmas, but uh, I'm teasing. The And Andalo de Sotos has a fort named after him in St. Pete, Florida, which is actually a beautiful beach. And by the way, people, if you ever want to spend, maybe not Christmas because you want to be with your family and maybe you're not from Florida, but the days before Christmas or the days after Christmas, I highly, highly recommend that you visit any of the beaches on the West Coast of Florida. In my humble opinion, the best beaches in the continental United States are on the West Coast of Florida because the sands are so soft, white, and sugary. It's completely different than the sands on California and Oregon or in Providence, uh, Providence Rhode Island and Maryland and do you think even the sugary, East Coast of Florida. Do you think they're sugary because of all of the petroleum that has probably seeped onto them over the course of 
how many oil spills from like Deepwater Horizon well, they, in the Gulf always of Mexico? Been They've always been that way. This is before oil spills and what have you. So we have loved going over some of the real 12 days of Christmas. And I hope and we've been enjoying the games that Atari sent us. We've been enjoying not getting sued by Santa Claus's Elvis, Elvises. Santa Elf. Claus's elves. Man, Elvis is King Harold. <laughs> <laughs> We've enjoyed drinking with the god Kavasir and the, the proto-Chinese civilization. Mm-hmm. So the only thing we're missing here is our wonderful mascots, as, we, as you would say in Spanish, or our pets. We want you to tweet us a picture this Christmas, whether you have reindeer, whatever silly thing you, you dress up your, your pet in, or as you're listening to the HPP Christmas special. And I also want to give a shout out to the Johns Hopkins brunch crew as well, because I know they're listening. And anyone that has a pet, send us a picture. Because they love listening and they love sleeping. And we're going to happily retweet it, retweet it on our Twitter handle at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBPets. That's HBPETS. Cool. And that wraps up the show for us this week, people. We want to thank you once again for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at at HBP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Please make sure to join us next time for a brand new episode of the Hipster Baseball Podcast. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Happy holidays for those who celebrate everything else after. And Kwanzaa. Yes, Kwanzaa. Remember, seven days of Kwanzaa. Farting off with uh, was it Moja on the 26th of December. So we look forward to coming back to you guys next week with a brand new episode. Take care, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>